Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Here we are back studying Rashi together for the first time in quite a long time. Uh, I sent an email out last night reminding everybody that um, we were starting up again, but I just checked and for some reason it never got sent. It's still in my draft, so I feel bad about that. I hope that that uh, there's nobody who was not aware that we were meeting today, but there might be. Um, so Moadim Simcha, we have most of the tech that we normally have uh, in Pilch, and I say normally because we've only done it about three or four times since we came back to doing it in person, but it means that the people who are in, in person cannot see the people who are on Zoom, uh, but hopefully the people who are on Zoom can hear the people who are in person because we'll move the microphone around, okay? Um, and... Let's get right into it. I did not uh, have a proper mark in my chumash as to where we stopped off last time. I think I know where we are, but if one of you has a, has a better indication of it, you let me know. I believe, and it's gonna take us a few, we're gonna read a few verses just to get us back into the, into the rhythm, but I believe we're about to read verse four of chapter six of the book of Shemot. So I said that backwards. Chap- Shemot chapter six, verse four. Um, <clears throat> which means that we're just in the third verse of Parshat Va'era, the second Parsha in the book of Shemot. <clears throat> um, and just to remind us what's going on, right? We did, we read the Rashi on four? Oh, right, because we read a few verses because the Rashi's kind of all string together and we read the first Rashi on verse four. Okay, we're, we're gonna do a little bit of Chazara so that uh, it's, it's familiar what's happening. If you, if you remind yourself how Parshat um, uh, Shemot ended just a few verses ago, and again, according to um, the, uh, the Christian uh, division of the texts, this is all one chapter, the end of, of the Parshat Shemot, the beginning of Parshat Ve'era, same chapter. We, the Jews, make a, make a strong uh, distinction at the end of the Parshat Shemot. That last verse in Parshat Shemot, which was 6-1 of Exodus. Moses said to, God said to Moses, Now you will see that which I will do to Pharaoh. Because with a strong hand, uh, he will send them. We discussed, is that Pharaoh's strong hand or is that God's strong hand? And with a strong hand, he will uh, expel them from his land. That's how Parshat Shmo ended. And then... We have a whole week in between those parshas, but in the Torah itself, which is the next verse, the first verse of the book of, of Parshat Ve'era, by Deber Elohim Moshe, uh, a different uh, name of God, Elohim spoke to Moshe, by Yomer Elav, and said to him, Ani Adonai. We spent a long time on that. What does it mean that the God named Elohim introduces God's self as Adonai to Moshe? And God says, Va'era El Abraham El Yitzchak El Yaakov El Shaddai. Hey, when I revealed myself to your ancestors, it was to El Shaddai. We discussed how that you can find many verses where Yud Hey Vav Hey appears with respect to those uh, early ancestors, even though the Torah says here, Ushmi Adonai Lo Nodati Lehem, and the name of God I did not make known to them. Rashi says there's a difference between Nodati and Hodati. Hodati means yes, they heard the name. Nodati means they weren't made fully aware of what it means to be in a relationship with the God who's Yud Hey Vav Hey. That brings us to verse four, which we've done half the Rashi's on. Let me just read verse 4 and 5 out loud, and then we'll go back to the Rashis. A continuation of what Moshe is hearing from God. 
and, 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 and now, or and yet, something like that, I have established, or I will establish uh, my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, at Eretz Mugurehem Asher Garuva, either the et here means along with, or it means a continuation of the direct object, the land of their wanderings, which they journeyed in. We spent a lot of time discussing what that Mugurehem Asher Garuba means. And then verse five, all is right in the world that Leonard's showing up with a V8. I've, I've, I've missed that Wednesday morning view. Welcome, ba- welcome back, Leonard, and your V8. And also, I have heard, God says, at Nakat, the groans of the children of Israel. It's kind of a, a slightly truncated phrase. The, the, the groans because, or based on the fact that the Egyptians are are working them hard. Va is core at Briti, and I um, have remembered my covenant. Okay. So all that is Chazara. We read verses four and five together way back when, because the Rashis on verse four kind of assume that we know the verse is coming after that. And the question that Rashi is playing with in verse four is what is the relationship between, on the one hand, God saying, I never revealed myself fully to them. The way I have to you, they never really got the full impact of Yod Hey Vav Hey, and yet I was beholden to them for some covenant that I promised, right? Because the whole notion of my not having revealed myself to them with Yod Hey Vav Hey says that it was not as an intimate of a connection, it was not as personal one, and yet I made a promise to them, and here I am um, fulfilling that pro- that promise. So, ra- questions or comments? I know that was that was quick review. Where are we? Chapter 6 of Shmot, verse, we're about to do the Rashi's on verse 4. First few verses of Parshat Va'era. Is the sound okay? Barbara, you can hear me? Joanna, Rick, you can hear me? Okay. To everyone, and as Rabbi Lucas would say, Chaguzel, which is the abbreviation of Chagim Guzmanim Lesasson. Okay. So everyone, see where we are, the first Rashi in verse 4, which I guess is the last Rashi that we did. Rashi says, and then well, at some point I'll, I'll call on a reader, but I just want to get us back to where we were. Gam lehem be'el Shaddai, even when I was making myself known to them by El Shaddai, which means what by inference? Given what we just learned, when God says, in Rashi's view, even though I was kind of uh, revealing myself to them in El Shaddai and not what? Not Adonai, even though it was a partial revelation, it was a limited revelation, it was a circumscribed revelation, even though it was not as intimate as it is with El, with Yud Hey Vav Hey, Hitzavti Behemadti Viti Beni Behem, Hitzavti. I I made stand like attended uh, Savim, the partial we just had a few weeks ago, but it is in the Hefil. I I I caused to stand, and now a synonym Behemadti, and I caused to. So maybe I caused to be present and real. I caused to stand the covenant I made between me and with them. I think the impact of this Rashi is saying, now that Rashi has gone to pains to describe the previous verses as, as saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not get Yudhe Vavhe impact, but quote unquote, just El Shaddai impact, and just El Shaddai impact when God was making a promise to them, don't think that wasn't a real promise. Don't think that it was like I was I was um, revealing myself to them um, 
in order to be slippery, in order to not have to fulfill my promise. Yeah, they didn't get what you're getting at Hebafe, but I made a promise to them, and here I am ready to fulfill it. Even a partial revelation from El Shaddai should stand as it would for you at Hebafe. Uh, let's get a microphone going around for Larry. Could al almost be like when a new administration takes over or when a country maybe is changed in some way, taken over by another country, they're announcing the treaties that I have previously made, I'm still beholden to. So you shouldn't worry that just because I'm now the king, that I'm not going to follow through with all the promises made by the previous monarch yeah. or the previous regime or the previous country. Yeah, it's sort of the inverse of that, because here what's shifting is not the monarch in power, but the monarch in power saying, I'm, I, I was not as intimate with them as I am with you, but even the promises I made with them count, right? Right. It's, it's as if, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the modern analog. It's, it's similar to that, but God hasn't changed. God is saying, again, through Rashi, though to you, Moshe, I'm Yudhei Vavhei, in the real way, and to them I wasn't, when I said, using El Shaddai, that you're going to get the land of Canaan, I meant it, and here I am fulfilling that promise. And that's, he's not reference, he's not quoting the Torah here explicitly, but the last word of the next verse, va Eskor et briti, and I have remembered my covenant. Remember, Eskor looks like it's a future verb, but it's past. I remembered my covenant. I remembered that I made a promise to them. And I made a promise to them that I'm prepared to fulfill, even though they got 70% of, of God's intimacy, not 100% of God's intimacy. Okay? So, we're good so far? Um, I'm just comparing the two different versions of Rashi here. Right. Okay. So, that goes right into the next Rashi, which is the second Rashi on verse uh, 4. Uh, Leonard, do you want to read? Bill, I'm sorry, I don't have a text. I don't have a text to share with you. Are you okay? You okay? Okay. Okay. We're outdoors. It's light. So now this is the second comment of Rashi uh, on verse four, Latate. Uh, let's give him the uh, microphone so that people on Zoom can hear it. Uh, correct. So you, so, so you can read through the Rashi had said, uh, I have um, it, it's actually punctuated two different ways, depending on which version of Rashi. In the in the in the Torah Chaim, it's considered the end of the first comment. In this version of Rashi, which I also read from, it's considered the beginning of the next comment. But you could read through. I have made I have made present, and I have stood up my covenant between me and between them. lehem. Can you move the microphone? Because uh, they they can't hear unless you're yeah. Okay, is that better? Yes. Okay, so yeah, please, or just say what you said again. I can't see it when you put it in front of my eyes. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, take the at Eretz Canaan, the Abraham the Farashat Miva, Neamar Ani El Shaddai VeGomer, Benatati Lecha Lazarecha Acharecha at Eretz Megor at Eretz Megorecha. Okay, so pause right there. Okay. So what what's Rashi doing? Rashi has just said that even though they got El Shaddai, I made them a promise and now I'm going to fulfill it. The next thing that Rashi is doing is what? Showing you the promises. Showing you the promises. Uh, to those who are present, I don't have the screen out, so I can't pull up the verses. And to those who are on, on Zoom, 
that's also the case. So normally, you know that I, I actually, we actually look directly in Safari at the verses that Rashi quotes. The tech didn't get all the way set up today. So we're just going to read it inside Rashi. Most of what you need is inside Rashi. So, La'avraham, colon, where did I reveal myself to, God, to Avraham with El Shaddai with some kind of a promise about inheriting a land? Mefarshat Milah. So translate that. So in the parsha dealing with circumcision, right, which is uh, parsha Lech Lecha, chapter seventeen. This is chapter seventeen of Breshit, and what Rashi is about to do is kind of a abbreviation of several different verses, just the ones that relate to the concept. Ani El Shaddai. Yeah. So I am El Shaddai. I have given you. To, I have given to you and to your seed after you. Good. And amongst the parts of those verses that Rashi doesn't quote, remember that when Rashi quotes a verse, this is kind of. It, 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 it may or may not sound strange. Rashi assumes that once he starts quoting a verse, we can fill it off in our heads because everything was oral and memorized. So Rashi is doing us the favor of telling us where, but as soon as he soon as starts, Rashi starts quoting a verse and giving us a dot, 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 he thinks we're filling all that in in our heads. We don't have to see it written, which means he doesn't always quote the part of the verse, or let's say it this way, the part of the verse that appears in Rashi's text is not always all of the part of the verse that's relevant as a proof text. And so in addition to what you actually see on the page, you have the phrase, the hakimoti et briti, the more explicit part. I will establish by covenant, between me and you. And at the phrase, Eretz Mugurecha, the land of your wanderings, the rest of that pasuk is et kol Eretz Kanaan, to make it clear, the land of Canaan. So with Abraham, we've got an El Shaddai, we've got a promise, that's one. Keep going. Okay, let's talk about Yitzchak. This is chapter 26 of Breshit, verse 3. Okay. What does that verse say? So, uh, to you and your, uh, all of these lands have established uh, oath. I have fulfilled, I guess, an oath that I swore to Abraham. Okay. Be Rashi on Rashi. What's missing from this proof text? What? What what needs to be in this proof text for it to be a good proof text and it's not there? Because these ver these Rashi is going back into Breshit to create a linkage between God's appearing to, to the Israelites as El Shaddai and the promise of the land of Israel land of Israel. El Shaddai, is, El Shaddai is not here, right? So El Shaddai was with Abraham. We'll see in a second that El Shaddai is gonna be with Yaakov. How does Rashi resolve the Rashi on the Rashi? Because Rashi knows that we're smart. And he knows that we're going to pick up on the fact that El Shaddai is missing from this phrase. Ota. Hold on a second. Um, Barbara and Rick and Joanna, can you hear Leonard? You can? Okay, good. Okay. Amarti Lo. Or Amarti. Put a period after Amarti. Oh, Amarti. So Rashi says, yeah, I know. In this quote about Yitzchak, there's no reference to El Shaddai, but it's the same promise. Yeah, that it was the same promise, Shanishpati Abraham, that I promised to Abraham, El Shaddai Martilo, El Shaddai Marti. I said it in the in the in the um, kind of the personality of El Shaddai when I spoke to Yitzchak, even though it's not there. This is a version of of uh, why I can't believe Matt's not here to hear the joke again. Why we know that Yaakov wore. Akipa, because it says Vayetza Yaakov mi Beersheba. Jacob left Beersheba. Would he possibly have left Beersheba without wearing a kippah? Obviously not. So, so how do we know that this is that El Shaddai is here? Because of course he said it as El Shaddai. 
So he's not able to give an explicit proof text. And Liyaakov. <coughs> Just wanted to point out that neither Safaria nor our book puts a. Well, our book puts a comma after. Uh, hold on. Yeah, that's. I, with, with great, great, great respect to the editors of the Torah Chaim, <laughs> there's got to be a comma or a period yeah. after Amarti because you've got Avraham and then Yitzchak and then Yaakov. So the Yaakov is beginning a next phrase. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Yaakov, he El Shaddai. This is definitely an eats, shoots, and leaves thing, right? That if you, without the period or some kind of a separation there, then you read through into Yaakov and his. Rashi's own defense of what's missing in the previous proof text stops making sense. So there's got to be something there. Go ahead. Okay. Now, just with that quote, that doesn't help us. But again, Rashi assumes that we know the whole verse. I'm going to read to you um, the continuation of the verse from this other version of Rashi I have. On that verse from chapter 35 of um, of Rashid, Ani El Shaddai, I am El Shaddai, pray urve, be fruitful, multiply, etc. Et ha'aretz asher. Did you have that? Yeah. Yeah. Ta'aret Asher v'Gomer. What's the next? The verse Asher Natati la Abraham liyitzchak. The same land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac lecha et nena. I'm going to give to you ulazaracha and to your offspring acharecha after you etain et ta'aret etc. V'Gomer. Okay. So now we've got two explicit references for Abraham and Yaakov of El Shaddai and a promise. We have a promise with regard to Yitzchak, but not the El Shaddai, but Rashi says, don't worry, it's, it was implied. And with all of these, meaning? I promised them, but I didn't fulfill it. Right, so now's the time, right? The, the, the loan is due, right? The loan is due. What's interesting about Rashi's take on this, which I guess you could pull out of shot well but Rashi emphasizes it it's almost as if Rashi is imagining a god who's more interested in fulfilling a contract than responding to suffering right the shot reads that finally the groanings of the Israelites rose up to God and God in God's compassion came down and said I need, I, I need to rescue them by by stringing this through Rashi is basically saying yeah, the, the, the suffering reminded God, but what to remind God? I have a bill to pay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding a, a, a petek and I, and I haven't, I haven't uh, fully paid off this loan. I better get down there and do it. As if the suffering was, a, was an initiator, but not the primary reason that God is an actor in this scene, right? And if I'm reading Rashi correctly, right? I'm not sure exactly how I feel about that, right? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's, modeling a God who, no matter how long a promise is forgotten, it's going to be remembered, or maybe it's trying to soften the notion that God is responding directly to pain, because if God is uh, responding directly to pain, why isn't God always responding directly to pain? Leonard? I'd say that uh, she was living, you know, in the Crusades, and all kinds of things were going on, and faith that God keeps his promise. Yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's a nice historical possibility. This... This reminds me of a joke my grandfather used to tell. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, but um, a guy is cleaning out his house and he and he sees a receipt for a pair of shoes that he sent in to fix at the cobbler nine years ago, and the cobbler's still in business. So he decides to go into the cobbler and says, "Hey, 
uh, I, I don't know if you, you remember this, but I dropped off shoes nine years, ago, nine years ago, forgot to pick them up. You know, can I pick them up? And the Kabbalah says, yeah, they'll be ready next Tuesday, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. And now, now I got to be ready. So it's like God says, oh, you're right. You know, I, I did promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, let, let's get down to it, right? Um, so uh, that's where the Rashi's on verse four ends. Any comments or questions on the table or on Zoom? Rosemary, let's get a microphone there. Can we get the microphone to Rosemary? I don't know if God forgot it. It wasn't forgotten. Right. And if you remember, there are parts of the Haggadah, we think we referenced this last time, that don't get a lot of attention, a lot of Siddharim, where there's a whole numerology game played through verses from early in Rashid discussing how long the expected enslavement in Egypt is supposed to be. But this notion, and Rashi is going to make reference to it explicitly soon, that, that somehow as early as Rashid, God knew and God foresaw that the Israelites would be enslaved in Egypt for a certain period of time. That's also a weird thing to think about, that there was, it, it was horrific uh, lingering in, um, uh, in Egypt was known and couldn't have been avoided. It was part of the process of redemption. Uh, and now God is saying, ah, you've reminded me. You remind me, it's time for me to come down and do something about it. Stevie. Okay, we definitely need two microphones next time in addition to mine. So, we'll, so uh, you don't have to go back. Just that uh, Pesach 4 is really about the past, and Pesach 5 is where he says, that's corporate that like, now I'm going to do it. So, and it is a response to Shemati at Naka. Like it, so I don't, I don't think Rashi is doing anything different than the text itself is doing. You might be right. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm having a reaction to Rashi, which may or may not be fully plain. Um, even in verse 5, right, the... the the, the shot of verse five is I've heard the groaning and I've remembered my covenant to me. This is just a personal reaction. The, the emphasis seems to be the suffering and therefore my realizing that I owe this people something. Rashi's extended treatment of verse four seems to suggest that it's what I owed them is more significant to this God in this moment than what I owe this people now, but one does not have to be it that way. I haven't yeah. looked at the Rashi on verse five yet, but uh, I mean, it, it, nothing in the Rashi so far has seemed to say like, I would do anything differently now than the status quo. Yeah. Right. It's just that like, oh, this is the backstory. That Fair. With that in mind, why don't you read the Rashi on verse five and let's see, uh, let's see if we get there. Um, the Gamani, uh, Moshe, Kitsavti, Vehemati, Habrit, Yesh, Alai, Lakayam. Um, so as I, uh, stand and stand, uh, the covenant, um, there is, it's incumbent on me, I guess, to, uh, fulfill. Good. Lafichach, Shamati, and Nakhap, and Israel. Um, no Akim. Um, so therefore, now that I've heard the moans of the Israelites, um, which are the just moans again, right? Yeah, I'm not sure why Rashi needs to add the present tense Hano Akim as if if we didn't know what Naaka was, the gerund of a groaning, I don't know how Noakim would help us. Maybe he's just trying to like string it all, like connect two parts of the pasuk as a sentence. 
Shamati et nakat b'nei Yisrael hanoakim asher keeping the plural asher him mitzrayim my vidim botam. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's your mouth. If that noakim is necessary. Uh, I see Joanna's hand. Keep going. So, uh, which uh, Egypt enslaved them, and I remember. Uh, uh, I remember. Say, Egypt enslaved them. Oh, Leonard, oh, are you still? I mean, Larry. I'm doing an echo. It's my fault. Yeah. So, so the groanings due to the fact that the Egyptians were yeah. enslaved in them. Kama v'eskor. Right. Um, Oto habrit. This is the um, because in the covenant between the pieces in uh, Rashid 15, um, I said to Abraham, and also uh, his nation will serve, uh, that they will serve, I will judge. Right. And this is going back to what I said to you before, Rosemary, that in the first moment that God, that God reveals God's self to Abraham in the Brit Benabitarim, where he's Know, splitting up the uh, the animal, the birds, and he's walking between them. There's a verse in that uh, section that says, "Gamet Hagoy Asher Yavodu," the nation that they, the Israelites, will serve in the future. Don Anochi, I will judge, and that seems to be a reference to the future enslavement in Egypt. And I am going to come down and go right. And it's them. also, I think, that's the beginning of the, and then I will take them out with great wealth, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So no, but the. the like the continuation of the quote would be, and then I will take them out, which is not present in the Rashi, at least in my version. But right. I think part of the, the import of the verse. Correct. Another situation where Rashi assumes that if, if Rashi quotes a verse, then we'll know the end. By the way, you know how sometimes we're not sure if the Dibureh Hamatchil, the words in our section that are bolded, that are words from the verse that Rashi is commenting on, are original to Rashi, that might be a later editor. It's also the case that the words of the verse that Rashi brings as a proof text may or may not have been the exact words from that verse that Rashi quoted. That may be something that editors handled later, okay? Um, so Stevie, now that you've read the Rashi on verse five, any other thoughts on, on what, what the emphasis is or what the connections are between Rashi's comments on verse four and five? Um, you know, digest it a little bit, but... Um... But yeah, he certainly is more rooted in the past than I gave him credit for. Yeah, to me, and again, I, I, I'm not going to die on this hill. Even yeah. Rashi putting the word lefichach here seems to be a sermon, right? So I, just as I made present Hitzativ and made stand uh, that covenant, I've got to fulfill it. And since I have to fulfill it, lefichach, therefore... I listened to the suffering as if the, the, the suffering was an awakening of my obligation, my bond, not that the reason why I listened to the suffering is because I listened to suffering, right? There's a different sermon one could give, right? Why am I listening to the suffering of the Israelites? Because they're suffering. No, I realized I'm listening to the suffering because I haven't fulfilled my obligation that I have, that I committed all those centuries ago. Joanna's hand was up. Are you still, is it still up, Joanna? I mean, I had a comment back on verse four that um, Eretz Kanaan seems to be referenced three times. Joanne, and can you speak a little bit louder because we're outdoors and we want to hear everything you say and there's a fire engine going by. 
I I have a comment back on verse four, which is why is Eretz Kanaan referenced three times? Eretz Kanaan, et Eretz Megurehem, Asher Garuva, and especially the last two. Eretz, like we don't know that Eretz Megurehem would be a land Asher Garuva. And by now, isn't even Eretz Kanaan enough? Like we've had enough references to Kanaan that we know what that land is and what's happened there so far. Why do we need this overly explicit explanation three times to be told what land we're talking about? Yeah. I mean, that brings me back to the conversation that we had probably the last time we met, which was when we, when we were working on the shot of verse four before we looked at the Rashi, we discussed some version of that, particularly the apparent redundancy of Megurei Hamashir Garuva, right? Now that is a biblical thing, a Hebrew thing, that sometimes you have the verb and the object of the verb from the same root, um, and it sounds lyrical to say it, and it, it happens less frequently in English because roots don't operate in the same way, right? We don't, we don't often talk about, you know, um, I don't know, there's not as many situations where you have uh, both sides of, of a phrase being from the same root. It does seem to be extraneous. Um, like if it's Eretz Mugurehem, obviously they were Garudba. And if they Garudba there, obviously it's Eretz Mugurehem. And I remember there were some interesting possible resolutions to that when we, when we discussed a few weeks ago. I don't remember exactly what they were. Um, and yes, the, 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 the reference to that land that, the, that they're no longer in, that, all, that nearly all of the safer breaches are placed in, and we're not going to go back to until the end of the Torah. End of the Torah. Uh, someone just <laughs> um, he's back right um, it is it is clearly emphasized here very loudly uh, Barbara and then Larry and then Barry let's get a microphone over to them in advance Barbara yeah, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but I just was wondering because Rosemary mentioned the amount of time that they were down in, in Egypt we know that I'm going to turn the volume up It's it's my understanding that the Jews were in, in Egypt for 400 years. But what I'm suddenly kind of curious about is how long is the period of time going to be from this through the time that, that the Hebrews left Egypt? Okay, so Barbara's saying that uh, her understanding is that the time of the Israelites were in Egypt were 400 years, and she wants to know the distinction, the, how much time between now and Exodus night. Okay, so first of all, there are several different countings within rabbinic tradition that, uh, discussing how long the Israelites were in Egypt. There, colloquially, we sometimes refer to it as 400. Um, sometimes the internal math of the Torah is counted in the 200s, and there's that section in, um, in the Haggadah that deals with that numerology, but there's, not, there's no one answer to that question. Your real question is, how long did the 10 plagues last, right? Because Moshe is about to have an encounter with Pharaoh, and then we're kind of on a non-stop cycle of 10 plagues until Exodus night. And that cycle, which takes us through all of Parshat Ba'era, the beginning of Parshat Bo, uh, does not have a lot of timestamps on it, right? Sometimes we have timestamps in the Torah, sometimes we do not. We have no um, obvious proof within the text of the Torah of how much time there was between Dam and Sfardea, between Sfardea and Kinim. Was this couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, we don't know. The counting that is concrete, even within the Lodge of the Torah, does not happen until Exodus night. <clears throat> so um, 
I have no good answer to that question, but it's a good question. Thank you. Larry? So you can stop me if this is not appropriate to this conversation I was trying to hear as I was watching Millie. So I'm going back, way back to chapter five. That is wildly inappropriate, Larry. I can't believe you'd bring that up. <laughs> I'm trying to understand the arc of this story. And it seems to me that this is the conversation that Moses should have had with God at the burning bush and not now. So I'm wondering if maybe the story hasn't been pieced together. And what's really happened here is when Moses has interjected himself into the situation, if you recall, the Israelites said, what are you doing here? You're making things wor worse. Who are you? And he is trying to establish the validity of why this guy was come, and bear with me for a moment, maybe not from Egypt at all, but from the land of Canaan, where he claims that this God had made a deal with his ancestors, and now this deal is also applicable to these Hebrews who are here. Mm -hmm. So the conversation is, I'm perhaps understanding it, isn't really between God and Moses, but rather between Moses and the Israelites uh -huh. saying, my God that I'm coming is actually your God and the promise that he made to me way over there or to my ancestors way over there way back then is applicable to you. Yeah. Lovely. Read the first three words of verse six. Of verse six in Hebrew? Yeah. Hold on. Lechen and more leave Israel. Right. So so what's coming, right, is what I God have just said to you, Moshe. Why am I saying it to you? So that when you stand in front of the Israelites, you can connect for them what I'm presenting now and the stories that they've inherited from their ancestors. And for some people, I think it's rather could be rather disturbing because it can disconnect completely Bereshit yeah. from Shemot. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Barry? So I, 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 my take on this is um, Shaddai to... Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov, it's like God setting up in God's future an alarm clock. So it's not an intentionality, it's just, it's an alarm clock placed, placed out there in the future that God knows. So now the alarm clock goes and it's time for action. I don't, I don't see into here the groaning causing anything uh it's it, it's it, 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 the, the 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 groaning is supposed to happen at this time in the in in the alarm setup and 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 that's it's basically it's it's a response to something that's had, had been set up previously we spoke about the the numerology and the number of years is supposed to transpire so the, 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 those number of years ha, have transpired and, and now it's time for the action yeah, I think the alarm clock imagery is a useful run, right? To me, it to use the alarm clock imagery reinforces to me the point that I was making when I talked to Stevie, that what seems to be important to God here through Rashi's eyes, and it's only Rashi we're studying, is the alarm clock going off reminding me of what I owed then, as opposed to what's present in this moment, which is, let's play the game, hundreds of thousands of Israelites suffering. Stevie, let's get that microphone over there again. Yeah, just throw it. He'll catch it. In this chair. Uh, 
you know, we finally got the logistics and the tech kind of okay in Pilch with the hybrid to do that outdoors with the ECC around us. It's wonderful to study in the Suka, um, but it's like we, we, we can't leave well enough alone. We have to make things more complicated. Go ahead, Stevie. Yeah, I think that in this case, it actually depends very heavily on whether the country's Rashi itself included those quotations from the part the pasuk or not because without them he says right i had this promise that i hadn't fulfilled and then uh kamosha whatever says that again right therefore the moaners are the covenant right like and it's kind of ambiguous as to what that means exactly but the way it's uh, partitioned here, there's a separation between Vigamani and then Shamati, which is like as egregious a separation as, right, Anochi Esav Bechorcha, right? Like yeah. it's, it's like it completely destroys any possibility that the Shamati is the key thing. But it's not totally clear to me that that was Rashi or if that's just the way that Rashi appears now. It's a really great comment, Stevie, and kind of unwittingly, we've uncovered really something very fascinating, which is, you know, I think I've shared you before that there are indeed masters and, and PhD theses done on the, 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 the grammar of Rashi and which parts of what appear in our versions of Rashi were uh, original to him. And sometimes it really is the case that what is quoted and how it's punctuated changes our impression of Rashi's sermon on the verse. That's a helpful reminder, right? We, we are reading Rashi just as a explicator of the verse. Every few weeks and months, I remind you, Rashi is writing sermons, right? He's writing sermons through uh, Perush HaMikra, right? The, the interpretation of the verses, but he's trying to say something of substance about God or Israel or, or his condition. And therefore the precise emphasis that he has or lacks is everything, right? In the same way that if you if you took any one of my sermons and punctuated differently or even emphasized the word differently, that would change the tone and, and what I was trying to, to push through in the idea. Great. Okay. Thank you for that, Stevie. Let's go to um, verse six, because that was there was only one Rashi in verse five when we read it. Rosemary? <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking of the text, I was thinking in a way, this is proving that one tzaddik is much more important than 100 people crying. Yeah. Because God reminds us that because of Abraham and Yaakov, he's going to do. Yeah. So, Rosemary, you just put into words some of what I find this part of Rashi, not to be bad, but uncomfortable, right? It does seem to be um, preferencing, right, God's promise to those three tzaddikim over the experience of the current Israelites. Not that he's, he's going to redeem these Israelites, but God's going to redeem the Israelites out of a bond due to them, right? So you can imagine that, that that could also be a sermon, right? Like, look look how significant the, the, the promise of or from a righteous person is. It can awaken even God's memory. But I don't know, I, I, the, the sermon I would want to write about this is God hears cries, right? God when you when 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 you're in in pain and distress the god of the torah is listening no is that true i don't know but that's the sermon i'd want to i'd want to hear or give depending on the situation okay let's go to verse uh six barry do you want to read verse six let's get barry the microphone 
Barry, put the microphone maybe about eight inches from your mouth is my suggestion. Lakina Mora, Livne Surreal, Ani Adonai, Akarteti Atem, Hitakad Asivlot and Shrayim, Hitalti Atem Melvatam, like Alti Atem Bizrod, Uvish Fatim Gedolim. Okay, and as Barry is translating, I want everyone to count the past tense verbs in this verse. Uh, therefore, say to the Ben Israel, uh, I am Adonai, I, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will save you from their slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of great judgments. Right. And I spoke when I said that before, I, I made a Freudian slip because these verbs look like past tense. What I meant was future tense because they're vavaipuch. How many of those uh, future tense verbs that look like past tense verbs are there in this verse? We've got vachotseiti. Uh, it's the vav that does it, right? Vachotseiti that, that turns it into correct. So how many do we have in this verse? Okay, there's one vachotseiti. Vachitalti is another. is the third one. Right. So that's three so far. What's the first word of the next pasuk, Barry? I'm sorry. What? The first word of the next verse is what? Uh, uh, that's four, right? Four, yeah. Ringing a bell for anybody? Uh, and then we go on. So, but the, the four future tense verbs, is that ringing any kind of a ritual bell, Stevie? Right. The four, the four cups of wine on Pesach and the reason why the four is an iconic number on Pesach Hard to know what's the chicken, what's the egg, is linked to these four lishonot, the four languages of redemption that span two verses in this section of Parshat Va'era, right? They're all sort of synonyms. Well, not quite synonyms. They're all talking about the same process. Vahotseiti, to take out, right? Hitsalti, to save. Ga'alti, redeem. Lakahti, to take. And, uh, if we just read a few more words into verse seven, you've got v'lakachti, and that's normally where the number four ends, but a few words after verse seven, v'lakachti et chemli la'am, I will take you to be um, uh, as a nation, v'hayiti lachem lelohim, and I will be to you as a God. So there's actually a fifth, and if you look at the um, beginning of verse eight, there's in a sixth, v'heveti, and I will bring you, right? So um, one of the things that I said about this is, first of all, note that of the four original languages of redemption, the fourth one is Lakahti, I will take you to be my people. When, when does God take the Jewish people to be God's people in the story? When's the marriage? Sinai, and Lakahti is marriage language. When a man takes a woman as a wife, and this is taught all the time as a reminder that the purpose of Exodus was not just to be out of slavery. The purpose of Exodus was to marry God at Mount Sinai. You didn't get liberated to be liberated. You got liberated to be recommitted to God, to a relationship with God, to a, a benevolent master as opposed to a, uh, a malevolent master. And then as uh, Stevie mentioned before, um, that not everyone heard, and then there's this notion that Part of this is also bringing us to the land of Israel and then an eventual um, promise to, that Elijah will come and, 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 and bring peace to everybody. So the fact that we, we that four, and this is why it's hard to know what's the chicken and what's the egg, if it was obvious that there were just four verbs, then the, say, the notion that 
the four cups of wine on Pesach are connected to these four verbs, we can imagine it really went organically that way. The, that the rabbis were looking at the verse, hey, four verbs, let's do four cups. But the fact that it's actually four amongst five or four amongst six or four amongst seven, when you count, it makes us wonder maybe the four was a part of the, of the Seder experience and then they graph that afterwards onto four of several verbs. Steve, let's get Steve a microphone. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's so. Uh, I know. Um, it 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 wasn't really clear to the Israelites that this was a, a conditional getting out of his, uh, of Egypt. It it, uh, it 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 had the appearance of we're, we're going to get out of jail. Period. But that wasn't it. Good. For those of you on Zoom who can't hear, we're we're uh, on the field and the wonderful Crespin uh, Early Childhood Center with. About 80 toddlers are out there singing, which is wonderful, but it's making it a little bit hard to, to focus uh, here. Yeah, uh, we're almost done. Uh, let me get Rick and then Stevie. Rick, unmute and speak loud. Hi. Speak louder. Hi, hi. Speak louder. <laughs> it's hard to hear you. Okay. Um, two things. Can you hear me? Two things. Yeah, but- if you can speak even a little bit louder, that'd be great. The Vigams, um, I remember that when it was gam this and gam that, that um, there was additional uh, meaning to it, taking away from it. If, if, you, if you said something and then gam this and then gam that. So I just wanted to ask you about that. I'm noticing four starts with a Vigam and five starts with a Vigam. So... I wanted to ask you about that. The other thing was I, I wanted your take more on whether the people wouldn't have been rescued if they hadn't been groaning and, and how much groaning do they need to do before God steps in? Um, if they were happy being slaves, then God was waiting for them to be upset about it. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I, I heard only a little piece of that, Rick, because it's loud on the field, and and you were and I just couldn't hear your voice. I think you were asking about the the progression of the vagams in verse four and verse five, and then whether or not something about the groaning. But I didn't really quite hear the question. Well, I, I just want you to uh, make more clear whether God is waiting for them to be upset about slavery before He does anything. Uh, I thought there was. I'm not happy with the the trigger of how long he's waiting to get yeah. us out of slavery. Right, right. So, however long the Israelites have been enslaved by by Egypt, it wasn't yesterday, it wasn't a week ago, it wasn't a month ago, it wasn't a year ago, it wasn't a decade ago, it wasn't a generation ago. Right, but something happens when when like who's the initial reactor to the Israelites suffering? Moses. And then Moses' experience in the desert with, in Midian, and then Moses' experience in the burning bush. So somehow God's conscience that is moving God to redeem the Israelites in our scene is awakened by Moshe's conscience, which means that God's conscience was not awakened by days, weeks, months, years, decades, and generations of Israelite suffering. But now God's conscience is. But to me, that, that, that's a problematic gap. It is. Uh, Stevie, you'll get the last comment, then I have one logistic announcement before we close up. Yeah. Um, just interesting that this, possibly in contrast to Chapter 4, I didn't check yet, but uh, that 
there's Moses is, and this is building on what Barry said, he's not told to tell the Israelites anything about this God being the God of their ancestors. Like, as far as they know, it's a new God. Like, all, all that matters is he's the God of rescue. It's like for the people. Yeah. Right? Moses, like, it's important for Moses to know that God has this covenant and whatever, but like, for the people, it's not told at all. Um, let, let, let's hold that thought until yeah. we get to verse 8, right, which we'll read closely in a few weeks. Because in, as part of those extra verbs beyond the four, verse eight, right? So there is, in, within the quotation marks that God is telling Moshe to tell the Israelites, there is a reference to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not in the same detail that God has just said to Moshe, but remember what Larry said before, are we supposed to understand that what God is telling Moshe through verse four Sorry, through verse five, Moshe is supposed to repeat to the Israelites or is it just for Moshe's sake? And we don't know. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.